Well, good morning again. This is the guy that was up here before with the bikes. Same, same guy. I'm that guy. Um, you know, this morning I wanted to take a moment and, and do two things. One, I want to acknowledge all the kids that are with us this morning. Today's a fifth Sunday, so it's a family Sunday. So if you're a kid and in, in, in you're in elementary school or even in middle school, would you guys just stand up just so we can embarrass you? Come on, stand up, everybody. Hey! All right. Okay, you can sit down. There's a lot of half-standing going on, but that's all right. Hey, we honor you guys, uh, each and every one of you. If I could just get you kids just to look at me just for one second. I just want to tell you how special that you are, how important that you are to God's plan. And each and every one of you, you have gifts and talents and abilities that you're learning and discovering now. And some of you know those things. You know stuff that you're good at and others that you're, you're learning these things right now. But one of the things that we like to say and remind you kids of is that You are not the future of the church. You're the church right now. That you have a place right now. That we look to you guys sometimes. We find joy when we see you. And the the simplicity that that is there. What I mean by simplicity is sometimes we can overthink things as adults. And you guys just know how to have fun. And we love to watch you do that. And we love to hear the things that you're learning. A while back we had a baptism class. And some of you guys got baptized. Sebastian, I see you back there. Some others that were baptized as well. And love to hear how much you knew about the Bible and how much you knew about the gospel. And so, um, so yeah, I just want to honor you guys and say keep up the good work. And we're happy that you're here this morning. And we hope that everything that we say, you'll listen to. All right? Say, I'm going to listen today. Just say it out loud. I'm going to listen today. Oh, there was adults saying it. That was like a kid thing. Say, I'm going to listen today. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, that's that. So you guys, if you're all still standing up, you can sit down. But kids, we're glad that you're here. Secondly, I want to take a moment and I want to recognize those who've served in the armed forces. If you've served in the military, we want to just take a moment to recognize you. Could I get you to stand if you could? I know that there are some among you. Yeah. You know, I want to say this, that Thank you for, for standing and thank you for serving. And today's Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is so much more than an extra day that we have as a holiday. So Memorial Day is so much more than an extra shopping day, you know? Memorial Day is a, is a time to remember. And it's really interesting where we find ourselves in our Exodus study, and Ben gave some um, inference to that as well, that, that the children of Israel were often called to be reminded or to, be, to remember. And on Memorial Day, we remember. We remember those who paid the ultimate price, um, those who laid down their lives. The Bible says it this way, greater love has no man than they would lay down his life for his friend. And um, the thought occurred to me this time, and I don't know if you're from the city of Orange, but if you drove through Chapman and you see all the flags that are there in City Hall and and there are other places um, that are monuments to remember those who who lost their lives in war, the thought occurred to me um, for those that are families and those who who served in the military that, um, that, that made it through, that didn't lose their life on the battlefield, that there's a different reality that you all have than maybe the average person, that you're carrying that memory with you every single day. And, um, and I, I see such a beautiful thing that God's done in, in redemption. There was a man that he's home with the Lord now, but many of you remember Jan, who, who served in the military and who was a prisoner of war and, and um, just a hero. And, and one who should have, for every other reason in life, been an embittered man. He should have, for what he endured. The suffering, the torture that he endured. 
But because of Jesus, he was able to forgive. Because of Jesus, he, the fragrance of his life um, was so sweet. It was like a sweet aroma, you know? And, that, and only God can do that. Um, I think of many other examples. But, but I, I wanted to say this about this time, that, that for those that, um, even in more recent times, is we've experienced the longest war in history, and young men come home from battle, and we kind of go on with our lives, and we just sort of, we honor them, and we think, man, that's great. We see the penance in our cities of those who have fought in various places in the Middle East and beyond. And, and we, I think for the average person, we are respectful, but I don't know that we know the, the deepest implications of what has happened in their lives and the, the price that was paid there, that, that it was a, a, a living sacrifice that was offered. Is this making sense? And, and I say all this to say this is a time to bring those things to mind. This is a time to remember. This is a time to be grateful for those and a time to check our own hearts, to, to look at, at our willingness to, to serve and to serve the Lord and to serve Others, you know, one of the um, the attributes of the flesh is selfishness, right? And and it is easy to be selfish. I know that firsthand. That it comes natural to me to be selfish. That's my natural man. But but through Christ, we learn how to be selfless. And so um, I I wanted to thank deeply those who have served and those who are families of those who have served. Um, there's a, a, a something that I want to say specifically, and I'm thinking of um, something that happened in. In, um, in June, June 3rd of 1969, and I don't know, Jack Davis, if you're watching, but um, Jack Davis is a member of our congregation who served in the Vietnam War. And in the height of the Vietnam War, uh, in, the Chi- in the Chinese Sea, there was a tragic accident that occurred during the, a time where um, there were maneuvers that were happening between the Australians and the, um, the Americans. And as they were preparing and, and training, a tragedy occurred where the the large Australian destroyer um, came in and collided with the smaller ship. It was the USS Frank Evans. And um, the ship sunk, and 74 sailors lost their lives. And um, Jack was a part of that ship and that crew, and he was not on the ship at that point in time, and his life was spared. And I can only imagine carrying that. You can only imagine that. And today's a day to remember that, to remember those 74 lives that were lost, and also to remember someone who's in our own congregation who loves the Lord so faithfully and has carried that. And, and so, as, as embarrassing as it might be to Jack when he finds out, if he's not listening right now, um, I, I wanted to honor Jack Davis. I wanted to honor a man of honor, a man who served faithfully, and a man who experienced some very difficult times, as anyone who was involved in war has experienced. And um, he's one of us. And today, um, we honor him along with all the others. And we honor him in a special way because today he's also suffering some health issues and some difficult times. And so I wanted to take a moment and pray specifically for Jack as he's recuperating and um, pray the blessing of God over him. Uh, and this, in this day means something different to men like Jack than it means to many of us. Today's not an extra day, or excuse me, Monday, not an extra day to shop. It's a, it's a different kind of day. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? And so, um, Jack, we want you to know that we're with you today and um, that we honor you, and um, we're going to pray for you now. So would you join me as we pray a special blessing upon Jack and upon all those who have served in our nation's military? Oh God, we thank you. Lord, we, we thank you once again for the examples that you give us of men of integrity who are willing to say yes, who are willing to um, lay their very lives on the line. 
And God, we pray for each one. Lord, I think of um, many men and women who have come home from serving in, in the military and maybe not in war, but understand war in a different way than we might as civilians. And those, Lord, who have experienced the battlefield and what they carry with them, God, we pray a special grace over their lives and a special blessing over their lives. And Lord, for, for Jack this morning, we pray a special healing over his physical body and an encouragement that would run deep into his soul. Lord, as we uh, honor him publicly um, and bring him before your throne of grace, Father, we ask you for um, just a special touch of your Holy Spirit. We bless you and Bev today. Lord, we thank you for them. We pray healing over Jack in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Well, now I just want to like take receive communion and go home, you know. But, but um, there's so much good in God's word that I want to bring you today. So we're going to stay in Exodus chapter 30. If you were with us last week, uh, Exodus chapter 30, we began this chapter and we stayed in the first few par- in the first paragraph really as we learned about the altar of incense. Everybody remember the altar of incense? Yeah, and it's this pillar altar. It's not very large, but it was there um, before the altar of atonement. It was an early piece as you would walk into the tabernacle. And everybody remembers what the tabernacle is, right? It's this mobile tent that the children of Israel would take with them everywhere that they went and where they camped. And that tent would be um, would be erected, and, and in that tent um, there would be the place where God chose to house His presence. And so it's no small thing when you really think about it that the God of the universe, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord and what? Everything in it, right? That everything belongs to God. But God takes um, and, and localizes His presence into one place for His people that they could have access to the presence of God. That He would be their God and they would what? Be His people. This is the dream. And this is what God was doing for the nation of Israel. And so, in this mobile tabernacle, um, there was lots of ritual, lots of blood, right? It was, it's like, as you read it, there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of steps and whatever else, and you could kind of glance through it and move on to easier things, or you could take some time to think about it. And, and one, um, we, we come from a place of gratitude, knowing that we're in a new covenant where we don't do these same sacrifices, that we don't take the opportunity to follow these same steps, but, but this is how amazing it is, that we get to come boldly into the throne of God's grace. It's beautiful that in this moment God was making his presence accessible, but it was through a priest or a mediator. But Hebrews tells us that now we have a greater high priest. Who's that? That's the easy answer, right? Anytime, anytime that you get asked a question in church, it's like 99% of the time if you just say Jesus, you're good. Okay, kids? So in Sunday school, if they ask you a question, just say Jesus, right? Um, but it's true. Jesus is the great high priest, the Son of God, right, who, who came uh, as, as uh, just the ultimate atoning sacrifice, which we'll get into in just a moment. But, but the reality is this. And we can never lose this or forget this as we read this book of Exodus, that this is the great application as we look as towards our way forward. That's the title of this series. Our way forward is understanding that we have access to the presence of God. We have access to the presence of God. And if we don't take the opportunity to invite the presence of God or to live in the presence of God, we live a life that is very unstable, right? That James calls us double-minded people, unstable in all that we do. So we know what the Word of God says, but we don't quite know how to do it or we choose not to. And it produces instability. I've had seasons of instability in my life, and I'm sure you have too. It seems like the world that we live in is completely unstable. But the reality is that we can have ultimate stability in the presence of God in the midst of instability. That is the good news. 
And I, I've said this before um, earlier in the midst of all the crisis that we've endured in these last few years that I was with somebody who was lamenting over the world changing so much and the difficulty of the world and that there's nothing left to trust or to hope in except for God. And I thought, well, isn't that everything, though? Isn't that everything? It was said in frustration. I mean, I got nothing left but God. That's everything. That's everything as we put our hope and our trust in him. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the book of Exodus is that he is God. And he's made for himself and a people that, that can follow him. And that he longs to care for them. And that no matter what they face, if they put their hope and trust and faith in him, that he's got them. And the good news of the gospel is that ultimately, no matter what happens to us, that our hope and our future is secure in Christ. And so these are the things that we have to keep in our mind as we study this stuff. Um, it's not just about animals, blood, and so forth. It's about a, a bigger picture. It's about the presence of God accessible to us. And, and really a lot of the incense, the, the prayer and the worship that we talked about last week, rising to the throne of God's grace, was about that. But today... Um, we get into this other subject. Uh, it's the next part of the chapter. And it's about um, this thing called a temple tax or a, a ransom or an atonement um, payment. And if you ever want to get super confused, and if you don't look at the total picture of it, you'll be stuck back in, in the Reformation time thinking that the Bible is saying that if, if you pay a little extra money, then you can atone for your sins with cash. There was some, some big stuff that happened in regards to that um, it, 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 during the Reformation. This is not what the Bible is saying, um, but the Bible is saying something really powerful. So are you with me this morning? Do you like, feel like doing this this morning? Yes. Okay, cool. So let's get into it. Um, the, the, there's this tax, and this tax is also tied to a census, right? And so um, what, what God instructed the children of Israel was that every person, um, regardless, it, it's the males, but every male, regardless of their wealth or lack of wealth, had to pay a half a shekel. And it's a silver piece that that, that was paid, and it was an atonement tax. And what they would do is they wouldn't count the people, but they would count the money. So everyone had to do it. And the Bible even says it's to avoid a plague, right? So there's a good motivation to do it. So you pay the temple tax so that you don't get a plague. Uh, how many of you would want a plague? I don't think so, right? So you pay the temple tax. And, and, and so they would pay this, and then you would count the money, and then you would know how many um, soldiers or fighting men that you had, and you'd, you would keep a track of the people. Instead of counting the people, you count the tax. Now, um, there's a, a handling and a mishandling of this. If, you, if you're a, a student of the Bible, you can recall that David in the Bible, there came a point where he decided to count his men. Do you remember this? And so he counts them. He's got like over a million soldiers. And, and the anger of God is burning against David for what he's done. And the wrath of God comes upon David to the point God's like, you blew it big time, man. You have like three choices. I'm going to do this, this, or this. And David says, I fall into the mercy of God. You're a merciful God. I, I accept that what I did was foolish and a sin against you. So whatever you want to do. And then what does God do? He sends a plague upon these people, and 70,000 of his soldiers are lost. Like, you're just like, what is going on? Why was that such a big deal that David counted his soldiers? Well, if you understand the, the, the context of what's being done, you, in this time and period, if you're a ruler or a leader, you only count what you own, okay? You're only allowed to count the things that are yours. So were those soldiers David's? No, and that one wouldn't be Jesus if you ask if I asked that question. Now, that's just 
The soldiers didn't belong to David, and so David counted what wasn't his, therefore like putting his hope into a military machine and not into the God of heaven and earth. And so God's anger burned against that. Now, we don't understand always the anger of God or the wrath of God, um, but we accept what he says in his word. And so um, talk amongst yourselves while I take a drink of this. Okay, I'm back. Um, I almost choked just then. Hold on one second. That would have been embarrassing. You know you get those like coughing fits? Thank you. Um, Yeah, something's going on in my throat for sure. Um, Yeah, so... This is what happens for David, that, that he experiences the, the other side of that temple tax and that he does things incorrectly. He models putting his hope and faith into a military machine and not into God. The point of that whole thing is not about God's wrath or it's not about the consequence of not paying the tax. The point of that whole thing is you can only count what belongs to you, that the children of Israel belong to God. They were his people, and so he had the right to count them and to, to, to make um, this opportunity for them to realize that there was a wage to their sin. And this is what we'll talk about, this yearly offering. So it has some words connected to it. Tax probably isn't the favorite word, I'm sure, um, but it, it uses words like census, atonement money, um, and atonement offering. So let's read it before we get in too much trouble, and then let's try to unpack it and see how it applies to us today. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, and there shall be, that there shall be no plague among them and when, when you number them. Um, each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, a half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. If you were curious, uh, the shekel equals 20 geras. So um, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, Then the the half shekel um, you give when you give to the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. And verse 16 says, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and you shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel into remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. This is interesting because um, the temple tax or this money that was paid didn't pay for their sins, but every year they were reminded by giving this token that, some, that they owed something. Does that make sense? So it wasn't a once, once and for all, okay, here's, here's half a shekel, I'm good. Atonement didn't take place through money. Atonement took place yearly through, what, an animal sacrifice. And so built into Israel's history and built into ours is the understanding that we're on the hook and accountable for the things that we do before God. This is something that we don't like to talk about much, but accountability is an important subject to talk about when we think about our lives. David's choice to send before God had a deep impact, did it not? David's choice to send before God had an impact of 70,000 people. Um, the, 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 The common thread throughout Scripture is that your sin is not your secret little sin. That the sin that I commit isn't just my secret little sin, but it's costly. It's costly to my own life, but it's also costly to those around me. And I don't share these things to dump guilt on you on a Sunday morning. You know, you're always a little bit cautious. Like, hey, uh, people say, like, I already felt bad enough before I came to church. I didn't want to feel worse. This isn't about feeling. This isn't about making you feel bad. 
This is about understanding the human condition, that there is hope at the other end of this thing, but the, the reality is we're on the hook for the things that we do wrong. Is that not true? Maybe an easier way to look at it is saying to somebody else who's done something wrong, they should really be on the hook for what they did wrong. That as we look at the news, as we read things that are just blowing our minds of people, what they get away with, and, and the frustration of the, the, just the general climate, we can say, man, people should be held accountable to their actions. The reality is we all are held accountable. And so this nation was reminded once a year, whether you were rich or you were poor, it didn't, you had no sort of status based on your, your income to say, no, I don't have to pay that tax. Or here, let me kick in a little more. It's every person is accountable and you will be reminded of this yearly. Uh, let's look at what the Bible says in, in the New Testament about this accountability. And you know these verses. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23 puts it this way. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of, of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who all who believe. And then it says this, there is no distinction for what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this is built in, like I said, through this, this tax thing. Um, I have this, um, this other... Let me read one more verse. In, in 1 Peter 1, 17, starting in verse 18, excuse me, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him all believers who were raised from the dead and gave him glory, so that, the faith, so that your faith and hope are in God. Again, we talk about the Old Testament doing this, but it's setting the tone for the New Testament. I'm on the hook for my sin. I'm reminded of it every year, but there's an ultimate sacrifice for my sin that's coming ahead of all of this, and we find that in Jesus, the one who paid the ransom for us. Again, this thing is called a ransom, right? It's a ransom. A ransom means it's, you've got to give something to the, to the person who is holding you captive. And in this regard, sin holding us captive when the, when the message is about freedom. I have this quote from, um, from Charles Spurgeon. And, and this is what, what he says and kind of brings some clarity to what this thing is all about. He says, this ransom money spoke clearly. Everyone owes God. Everyone is obligated to him. The Lord commanded that every male over 20 years of age should pay a half shekel as redemption money, confessing that he deserved to die, owning that he was in debt to God, and bringing the sum demanded as a type of a great redemption, which would, be, which would by and by be paid for, in the souls, um, for the souls of the sons of men. That last part is talking about the hope of Jesus coming. And he did. And so you, you understand these things about this overall thing. And so now push pause on that and stick that over here. And now you ask yourself the question, okay, so there's a lot of people there and they're all given a half shekel of silver. A half shekel of silver is no small amount. It would be like a day's wage. And so what are they doing with all the money? Isn't, isn't that a great question that we asked about everything? We pay taxes and go, what are they doing with all the money? Right? So... This is the question that we ask. What does this go for? And this is where I think it's something beautiful that we don't want to miss. 
that this money didn't go to any one person. This wasn't um, to help the priests survive or there wasn't any kind of, like, it was very clear what this money was for. It was 100% for the building and the care of the tabernacle. That means that when you were paid this, that all of that silver went to maintaining the presence of God. Now think about that for a second. You could think of it as maintaining a physical structure. You know, I'm involved here quite a lot, and I understand that this building requires maintenance, and there's stuff that costs money, and you're just like, okay, we have to do that, and we've done a pretty good job, I think, at keeping this place running and everything else. It costs money to do it. There's a, a, a physical aspect to that, we can think, yeah, there's a nice building, or we could think of it in a spiritual way. And I'm not taking an offering, by the way, I'm not setting you up for anything right now. We can think of it in a spiritual way that this, the, the care of this facility is not the care of a building that people go, oh, that's a pretty building. It, it ensures a place to meet for what reason presence of God. And so as you're thinking of a tabernacle, which would be far more elaborate than this place, we're talking a tabernacle that had gold walls, okay? Golden walls that were like two feet wide by 15 feet tall, 48 of them that were linked together, that were made of acacia wood, and that were sleeved in gold. And, and those of you that know carpentry know what a mortise and tenon is. And the bottom there were tenons that would run deep and they would fit in sockets of silver. And those things would be stacked up. Now think about the amount of gold alone in two foot by 15 foot planks. That's a lot of gold, right? Right? Yeah, okay, good. And, and then you think of the amount of silver that it would take. I know that um, my son and I just dug some posts for a fence and we, we stuck cement in there. We mixed the cement and we got it to set up. And it takes a lot of depth for just a little bit of, of pull, right? 15 feet. How much silver does it take to make a 15-foot tall pillar stand upright and hold the weight? And you're not using cement. What are you using? Silver. This is expensive, right? It's costly to maintain the presence of God. And so, so this is what it would require. This is where all the money went. Now, as we get into um, some of that, I think there's a, a, a spot that we don't want to miss. Some scholars believe that, you know, and they'll bring symbolism, New Testament symbolism, into every aspect of the tabernacle. Now, I want you to think for a moment of these, these 48 um, pillars, or, or um, think of them as... I don't know, they're, they're like planks of wood. Like I said, they're two feet wide. I should have gotten you pictures. Um, if you look on the screen, I don't have one. But they're, they're, they're two feet wide, and depending if you're fish two feet or wood two feet, um, 15 feet tall, tenons, which would be like two um, protruding pieces that would run underneath, that would link, that would like set into sockets, right? And each one is 100% equal. Right, that they are the they are milled into shape. You know, you you would they were made of acacia wood. And by the way, I'm not making this stuff up. This is found in Exodus chapter 26. We were there several weeks ago. Um, Exodus 26 said that they would get acacia wood, and they would get it from a tree. Right, is where you get wood from. They didn't have Home Depot. They didn't have Ganal Lumber. So imagine they go there, they cut the tree down, and it's not a plank at that point. It's a hardwood. This is a hardwood. It's, it's resistant to the, um, the, the corrosion and things that would happen. And so they would have to cut the tree. They would have to get it into a plank, which would require them to strip all that bark, to do the work that it would take. They didn't have power tools. To do the work that it would take to make it a flat 
piece that was just absolutely matching and the same as the next piece. They had to do that 48 times. Are you guys tired yet? 48 times. And they get this beautiful piece of wood and they cover it with gold. A lot of gold. Now, what some scholars believe is that and tied into this temple tax when it says that every person, whether they're rich or poor, pays how much? A half a shekel, right? You can drop your half shekel in the box on the way out. I'm just kidding. No, so, so they pay a half shekel. Every single pillar is the same or every plank is the same. Scholars believe that those, those planks represented people. They represented people. That in God's eyes, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, that, that God sees the people, right? And that we're all created in the image of God and there's this equality that we're created with. And that we're, we're meant to stand side by side with one another. And that there's this gold that we're, we've been covered with. What do you think that gold represents? Gold was a precious metal and it is today, but the value that comes with gold. And you don't get gold cheaply. How many of you know that? That you don't just like go to, you know, if you watch, um, what's that show where the guys are always trying to find gold and refining it and they're always, they got the machines and they're doing all kinds of violence to the land by, by like scooping it up and then they spit it out and they get like this little bit of gold and that gold's worth a lot of money. What's that show called? Gold Rush. That's it. That's it, Terry. Anyways, if you watch shows like Gold Rush or anything like that, you know that gold's worth a lot of money, but it doesn't come out like a necklace from the ground, does it? It comes out like this fine little grain and it's a little dirty and they have to wash it. And then they have to do what? Refine it. Proverbs 17 says, uh, a crucible for silver and what for gold? A furnace. A furnace for gold. And you've got to heat it up. And then the dross of that, or I don't know what it's called for gold, but the, all the bad stuff comes to the surface. It gets scooped away. And then what do you have left? Pure gold. So there's a very precious and valuable, costly process um, to making all that gold. That's you. That's you. That's what God's done in investing in you. That's every trial that you've experienced in your life. And I bet you've had a handful. I bet you over these last couple of years, you've had more than two handfuls. And none of that pain is wasted. Not an ounce of that pain is wasted. That God uses every bit of it to bring refinement and pure gold into your lives. And so there you find yourself with this value that God has given you. And some of you are saying, man, God, I wish you would show that, that I'm valuable in other ways other than trials and tests. But, but that's just what he does because he loves us. He's not a puppet master controlling us, but he's putting us in situations, causing us and allowing us to grow. To, to grow excuse me. And then you have the, the, this, this plank of, of, of acacia wood covered in gold. And then you have this footing of, of silver, these sockets of silver that accept the tenon. It's like the other part of the tenon. It goes in. Silver is a representative of in scripture is a medal of, of redemption. Of redemption. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? If you think back and if you look in Leviticus, I think in 17th chapter, um, somewhere around Leviticus, I'm throwing out 17th chapter, that may or may not be true, but you have Google. Um, there, there is a part in there that talks about the, the silver redemption for a servant. Um, if you look in, I think I made, um, it's Leviticus 27, I just saw it in my notes. If you look at um, Matthew 26, that you remember a time when Jesus was sold out to the high priests, right? And what was he sold out for? 30 pieces of silver, right? Throughout scripture, there are other examples of silver being a, a medal of redemption. And um, 
Spurgeon has another quote about this. Actually, it would be interesting to look at that second quote. This is the amount of this redemptive metal that was collected at this time yearly. It says it must have weighed something over four tons. And this was dedicated to the use of the tabernacle. And a special application of this precious metal was to be the sockets that were, um, which would, these boards would be poured into, which made walls of the tabernacle where they should be placed. Um, you can find that again in Exodus chapter 26. I found it really interesting and was reading what one person said about it is that if you follow the whole symbolism of this, that you and I were uprooted from this world system, just like that acacia tree was uprooted, right? That God took the time in our lives to, to get the rough edges off, and He's still doing that. Doesn't it say in Ephesians that we're His workmanship, that created to do good works in Christ? As He's doing that, He's refining us and, and shaping us into something useful, right? This pillar, this wall that forms this body of believers that, that gets to dwell in the presence of God and show the world what the presence of God is. And then he, he covers us with gold, just refining the refining fire, but also the great value that we have in him. And then this silver that's collected from the temple that maintains it, it's put into the ground and it reminds us that from where we came from, we're never going back. That he uprooted us from the world, but now there's this redemptive silver that's going pretty deep that we set ourselves in, that that wood will never again touch the dust of the earth. It will only touch the silver which is redeemed. This is like cool stuff. That's you. That's the promise that you have today. That you uh, had uh, you were on the hook for your sins. I was on the hook for my sins. I was accountable. And Jesus paid the price. And he paid it ultimately for us. And I have this evidence of something that happened so many years ago in the Old Testament that reminds me that these walls that God has given me in my life, me, you, the representative, that, that we're never going back. We're secure. We've been redeemed. Not because we're good or awesome. Not because we read our Bible five times this week. Every day we did, it, we did it Monday through Friday. Not because of any of those things, but because of what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done, we then want to do all those things. We want to read our Bible. We want to pray. We want to follow those disciplines and love Him more. This is what that was all about. I found it like really putting all these pieces together, and this is where we're going to draw to a bit of a conclusion, is that here we are on Memorial Day, a day to remember these ultimate sacrifices that others paid the price so that we could have freedoms. There's Jesus who pays the ultimate price so that, that we can have ultimate freedom in our lives. There's a remembrance of where we came from, that we were once this tree that was made into something useful and there's a, a, a reminder that we should never be going back. That the redemption that and the, the, the silver that's been laid out for us through Christ is something to be remembered on a daily basis. And that brings us all to, um, to communion. Communion is so special. Um, I, I think of of the new covenant that we have of God's grace that as I said in the beginning, we don't have animal sacrifices anymore. We don't have rituals. But we have communion. Communion's like our jam. That's what we do. Communion for, for like over 2,000 years, Jesus himself institutes this one thing that he leaves to the church. There isn't like other sort of things like Israel had, but we have communion, a full sensory reminder of the one major deal. 
the atonement for our sins, the blood that was shed, the body that was broken, that when Jesus said it is finished, it's done. And so as you follow through that rest of chapter 30, there's two other portions to that chapter. There's one where it talks about a bronze basin. The bronze basin was there for the priest to wash their hands and their feet. A constant reminder of needing to be clean before God. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. You know, Moses, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. That these are, these are things that were done um, and, and instrument or, uh, furniture that was there in the temple. So it's a constant reminder that we need to be washed clean before God. And as I said in the beginning, we're accountable for our sins. But isn't it the good news that because of Jesus, we don't have to sit in here and feel bad about what we've done. We should feel convicted, but that we can walk out free and wash clean. That's the good news. That's really good news. Especially if you've failed. How many people have failed? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Just kidding. Right? We have all failed. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so the second part of, of that is this bronze basin that's there for the cleansing. And then the, the chapter ends with something really interesting that could be really boring if you didn't take the full context. The chapter ends with the recipe for the incense and the recipe for the anointing oil. And, and this is interesting because if it, we talked about the aroma of Christ. We talked about last week how the incense would always smell the same way in the tabernacle. And that Corinthians says that you are the fragrance of Christ. That there's a literal recipe in there that tells them exactly how to make the incense and how to make the anointing oil. And then there's a prohibition that says you cannot use this anywhere else. You can only anoint the priest with it and this stuff cannot be burned anywhere else. It is completely unique. And there is something so unique and so pure about the presence of God that you can't fake it. You can't get like a, a cheaper version of it. But there is preserved throughout history for the children of Israel a recipe for the incense. That it would always smell the same way. A recipe for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That it would always have the same fragrance. And may that be true of the body of Christ and coming together in unity. That there are times when you're like, well, something's funky in here, right? Like you know your discernment that this is not the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This incense does not smell like the people of God. This is not the aroma or the fragrance of Christ. And may we find ourselves in places that we're like, yeah, that's it. And once we smell it, we know we're right there. It's there. I don't know what's funny going on over there, Lima. I'm just kidding. All right. So... so <laughs> I'm teasing you, bud. Um, and so, so here's in the, in the last bit of it. As we begin to prepare our hearts, as we begin to think about communion, and we draw all these things to a close, um, we get the privilege, and I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up now, and we get the privilege of, of allowing, um, allowing our busy schedules, our crazy lives, allowing just the, this moment just to kind of hit pause and as we hit pause, as we, we pump the brakes, so to speak, we do the thing that is our thing to do. Communion. The body and the blood. And the Bible says that we don't do this in an unworthy manner, right? The unworthy manner of communion would be to not realize what we're doing. We're remembering that we don't have to pay a temple tax anymore. There's this really cool story in... in um, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 17. I'm, I'm, that's the 17. The other was Leviticus 27. Matthew 17. Matthew 17, Jesus in, um, is with Peter. And um, Peter's confronted. 
by those that were still collecting this temple tax and says, hey, does your rabbi pay the temple tax? And Jesus, um, and Peter answers, he answers them, and he says that, that he does, and then he goes, or does he not? I can't remember the wording of it. And then Jesus, knowing the conversation, comes to Peter and, and just jumps right into the conversation and says, hey, Peter, big paraphrase, does the one whose dad is the king have to pay the tax? And Peter says, well, well, no. And Jesus says, well, I don't have to pay the tax either. But then he says, just so we don't offend them, go to the, to the lake there and drop a hook into the water. You know, and Peter, and, you know, Peter goes and drops a hook into the water. And he goes, you're going to pull out a fish. And out of that fish, you reach into his mouth and you're going to find four drachma, coin, a, a coin that's worth you know, four drachma, which a temple tax would be two drachma. He says, then give it to them. Two for me and two for you. And, and like, what a cool story, right? A cool story. Like, if so, Jesus, like, whimsy doing it. He could have, could have made a big deal about it. But he said, of all the things that we can gripe and complain about in this moment, my moment isn't yet come. I don't have to pay the tax. I'm free. But get a fish and do it in front of them. It'll be really cool, you know. And Peter pulls this thing out. Two really fun things about that story is, is one, it gives evidence of the fact that most of these disciples were really young. So kids in this room, if you grew up thinking like the disciples were all these old men, they were probably under 20 years old because they weren't paying the temple tax. Just Peter and Jesus were paying the temple tax. Kind of an interesting side note, yeah? But, but the other side of it is, the provision of God. And Jesus was showing that I've, I've come. I am the provision. And I, yeah, they're stuck in, in this moment. I'm the provision. And he is the provision. And that's, that's what we remember today. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And so as they lead us in this song, um, the, the Bible instructs us not to come to the table in an unworthy manner. Again, the unworthy manner is to not know what you're doing. This is something that um, is sacred before God, and it's something beautiful before God, and that you are saying when you do it, I remember and I believe, Jesus, that you've done this for me. Your body was broken for me, paying the ultimate price. I got no more ransom on my life. You paid it, and I receive it, and that your blood was shed for me, that, you're, that, that because you shed that blood... You washed me clean, which seems kind of weird if you're not used to the Bible, but the blood was the atoning sacrifice for sin. And so by saying those things, you're agreeing that that's what he's done. And we always like to say it this way, that if you don't follow Jesus, you wouldn't want to be in a position of proclaiming something you don't believe. But if you do hear and believe, then do it, because that's your proclamation. Does that make sense? And so the other way that would be unworthy for us is to come as believers in a sort of cavalier kind of way. Like, yeah, let's break the bread and drink the cup and get out of here. But we pause. We remember. That's what Jesus said. You can do this as often as you want, but as often as you do it, you do it how? In remembrance of me. And so remember the bronze basin was to cleanse you and to keep you clean. And if there are those areas in your life as this song is being played that you want to offer before the Lord and say, God, cleanse me of this. 1 John 1.9 tells you if you confess your sin, it's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You get to walk out clean and clear and remembering what Jesus has done. So as they play, think about your life and spend some time with them and then we'll break bread together. Amen.
Savior sing. Thy strength in me is small, child of weakness, watch and stations where there's communion. We're going to receive together. And so if you want to make your way to any one of those four tables and just take the bread and take the cup and hang on to it, we'll receive together. So as you're ready, please get up and serve yourself. If you need help, just raise your hand. Someone will bring it to you. Welcome to go either go back to your seat or you can stay up here at the altar. You can stay around the table, whatever you'd like. 
I know we haven't done it this way in a while, so please just make yourselves at home. But be in a spot where you can just take this whole moment in, whether it's at your seat or here at the front of the altar. invite you where you're at if you're able to do it to stand if you're not please be welcome to sit but if you can let's stand together Lord here before your presence we're looking at what's in our hands and we realize that what's in our hands is not a half shekel of silver and it's not something that we have to do once a year But this we can remember and do as often as we like. Because this is not a tax. This is a celebration. And we celebrate what you've done. That you paid the ultimate price for our sin. That yes, we are accountable for what we do. But the wages of those sin are death. And you through your victory have produced life. Life to the fullest for us. There's life in the blood. And there was life in your body that was broken for us. And every bit of it is true. That you came to this earth as a child. That you were without sin. That you walked among us. That you were tempted in every way. That you were arrested unjustly. That you were falsely accused. That you were beaten mercilessly. That you hung cruelly on a cross. And even in those moments where you could have lashed out, you chose to say, Father, forgive them because they know not what they're doing. Thank you, Lord, for the fullness of the cross. Thank you for the fullness of your sacrifice that you have made atonement for our sins. That you have instituted a whole new system of grace where we can come boldly to your throne without you finding fault. Thank you, God. It's overwhelming. Thank you for forgiveness today. Thank you for healing that comes because your body was broken. As we hold this piece of bread before the Lord, let's break it and eat together. a small sip to remember, to taste and see that the Lord is good. This cup symbolizes grace, the forgiveness of sin, and may you be washed clean. This says the priest would wash himself from his hands and his feet, representing holiness and purity before God and the things that he touches and the places that he walks. May you be found clean before God. No more hiding. That's what captivity is about. Freedom is about being able to be known for who you are before God and allowing His holiness to wash over you. 
God, I, I, I come to you, Lord, we come to you, not hiding, not hiding the things that we've chosen to do that sin against you, but we come openly and honestly saying we failed and we've blown it in this area or that area. And we ask you for your Holy Spirit to come now. Just cleanse your people of any unrighteousness. God, fill us afresh and anew with the power of your Holy Spirit. Let us walk out of here cleansed. No more blackmailing from the evil one who tells us how terrible we are because of this choice or that choice. But Lord, because of your blood, it covers that. He's no longer allowed to be that accuser in our lives because your blood answers that accusation. And your blood proclaims freedom. Thank you for what you've done, for the depths of what you've done. Thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. Let's remember and let's drink together now. Let's just sing this last song together as a proclamation of the victory that Jesus has won for us. If you're looking for a place to put your, your cup, if you don't want to hang on to it, there should be a little receptacle by the, by the edge of the aisle there. But let's take this last moment and just sing proclamation to God of his precious blood shed for us. He's paid the price. You lead us.
Lord, and now, God, would you bless them? Would you keep them? Or would you, you make your face shine about them? Would you be gracious to each one? And Lord, lead them out with your peace. Your, your word says we shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. We celebrate you today, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. Smile.